So today in part four, we're talking about this born again, born again. Are you born again? Um, that is such an unusual question. If you've never heard the phrase born again, it is directly in the Bible, and I'll show you exactly where it is in a little bit. But I was thinking the other day um, how people would answer this question if I went up to a stranger and said, have you been born again? So I thought about if I went to Coastal Grand Mall, and I wish I should have I done this and actually taken a video because I thought it'd be really funny, but if I went to Coastal Grand Mall and asked everybody in the mall today this question, are you going to heaven? I believe, you can put the questions up there, I believe that um, 95% would say yes. But then the next day, if I went to the mall and asked everybody, are you saved? I think about 80% would say yes. But then if I went the next day and asked everybody, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Probably 40%. Now, we're not talking about Walmart, we're talking about the mall, okay? If we went to 501 Walmart, we don't know what the answer would be. And then, but then if I said this to them, have you been born again? I bet 20% of the people would say yes. And here's the thing, the truth to this question in your life is the same answer for all four of these. Because it means, all means the same thing. But it's so funny when you ask somebody about heaven or about Jesus being your Lord or about being born again, the answers are all different. And so I want you to realize, and I don't know what the answer is for you, and you might not even know. You might say yes, and that might not be the truth. So the truth to this question is going to be the same for all four questions. You with me? Okay, so um, there's a scripture where, where my three points for today's sermon came in. I'm, I'm sure you're looking at your paper and you see where the three points don't have the same letter. You know, they don't start with the same letter. They are cohesive, and I'll show you. Hosea 9.11 says this, As for Ephraim, now, Ephraim can be a type and shadow of the church, not a local church, but the church as a whole. It says, if the glory flies away, in other words, if there's no word, you ever been to a church and they don't, they, there's no word, there's no scripture, they just try to make you feel good, you know, and then you leave, or they just give you some, you know, little good wisdom, but there's no script. If there's no word, if Jesus isn't present, if the Holy Spirit's not there, watch this, there's no conception, no pregnancy, and no birth. Those are my three points for today, conception, pregnancy, and birth, being born again. Now, here's, here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Could it be, is it possible that there are people all over the world who are getting conception mixed up with birth? In other words, are they, are they saying they're saved when really all they've done is conceived that God is real, that he's a good God, he has a good plan for their life. They conceive that, but they have not given birth to a new life in Christ. They've not surrendered their life. In fact, in fact, there's a period between conception and birth, and that period is called what? What's it called? It's called, let me ask the experts, mothers. What is that called between conception and birth? Pregnancy. Now, I remember there was this, there was this Catholic woman, an older Catholic woman I was trying to uh, win to the Lord several years ago, and I was giving her this analogy, and I said, ma'am, what is it called in between conception and birth? And she said, Hell. That's not the scientific term, okay? That's not the term I would use. But it is a very, very discomforting time. Um, so here's what I'm trying to submit to you today. Conception is you believe in God. In fact, you've heard from God. He spoke to you through the birth of your children, through a sunrise, a sunset. You know he's real. But then there's pregnancy. Pregnancy is that time where you're wrestling with, am I going to abort this? Or am I going to give birth to a new life and surrender everything I have to Jesus Christ? And I believe there are people that abort it every single day and they pick it back up, the seed, and then they abort. And they pick the seed up and they abort. And they come to church on Sunday and Monday through Saturday they abort. 
But here's the thing, even though it's a miserable and uncomfortable time and you don't know if you're going to surrender everything, if you're willing to give birth, I promise, you'll get, then get a place of joy that you've never experienced in your life. Freedom, you won't worry as much anymore. You'll have someone to, to be with you every day and to help you and to give you strength, but you have to get through the pregnancy time. Are you with me? Okay, so those are my three points for you today. Point number one is this, conception. The seed's been planted, you believe in God, but here's, here's, here's news that you might not have realized. The demons believe in God. <laughs> the demon, and they actually tremble, they believe in God. So you can believe in God and not go to heaven. In fact, let me show you the scariest scripture in the whole Bible. It's so scary, you might want to cover your eyes and cover your ears. It is that scary, okay? Jesus is talking in Matthew 7, 21, and he says this, Not everyone who thinks they're saved is going to heaven. Not everyone at Coastal Grand Mall who said, yes, I'm saved, is actually saved. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, on Judgment Day, many, not few, many, if I said, um, hey, there's many people in this room who have been to college, you would think more than half. That kind of be where many comes from. Many will say to me, Lord, we did a bunch of good things. We went to church. We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils. We used your power. We used your gifts. We believe so much so that we did things that proved we believed in you. Mighty works. And he says, I'm going to tell them openly in front of everyone, I never knew you. Now, Jesus does not know you, and then you backslide, and he forgets you. He doesn't forget anything. He said, I never knew you. You may have known a lot about Jesus, but you did not know him in a relationship. I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked people. Let me tell you why this is so scary. These are people who went to church, and they didn't go to a dead church. You see what they're doing? It didn't say that they're quoting the Apostles' Creed and they're singing a hymn. It says this, they're casting out devils. They're doing prophetic things. You know, God, God can use a non-believer. He used Pharaoh. Pharaoh um, hired Joseph. At God's, you know, God did all that. God, Pharaoh, the other Pharaoh that tried to destroy Moses, he believed in God. He saw supernatural plagues. He believed in God. That doesn't mean you're saved. These people here, they conceive that God is real. In fact, they conceived it so much they wanted to use the, the things that God had available. They wanted, and God said this, you were never saved. And these people, so if there are many people who are actively engaged in the things of God that are not going to heaven, how many more just attend church who are not going to heaven? That's scary. Do you see that there's, there's, no, um, there, there, there's no pregnancy, there's no birth, it's just conception. In fact, let me show you where the phrase born again comes from in your Bibles. In John chapter 3, 1 through 5, it says there was a Pharisee, Jewish leader named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night. It's very important you see he came at night. And if you study the scripture, and Nicodemus is in John for very many, many chapters, but at first he was embarrassed. Um, you know, the reason we want you to get water baptized, because water baptism shows the world, I'm not ashamed that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Nicodemus, he didn't want anybody to know. He didn't want anyone on Facebook to know he was a Christian. He didn't want his friends to know that he thought that Jesus was amazing and he loved him so much. So he went to Jesus at night and he said, Teacher, Rabbi, we know you've come from God. Well, there's conception. I've conceived the fact that you come from God because nobody can do these miracles unless God be with him. That's so funny. He pays Jesus this great compliment. You're amazing. You do miracles. You come from God. And Jesus says, uh, you're going to hell. I love how Jesus is just right to the point. I love you. I'm not going to hold back. I love you. I want you to be saved, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not saved. I'm telling you the truth. Unless a person is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus asked a very good question for people who've never heard the phrase born again. How can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter into his mother's womb again and be born? Jesus said this, I assure you, unless a man is born of water, there's natural birth, and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do not be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. So let me tell you about Nicodemus. Let me tell you how much he conceived that God is real. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Jesus had problems with some of the Pharisees, but not all of them. In fact, Nicodemus was a very, very good man. In fact, I dare say that he was a better man than every single man, including myself, in this building. Let me tell you why he was such a good man. Um, he fasted twice a week. He memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the one that when you say you read through the Bible in a year, you really skip that book. Um, De Deuteronomy, number, he, he, he memorized these books of the Bible because he, he was a Jewish leader, he was a Pharisee, he had to. He went to church every Sunday, he tithed every single week. And Jesus looked at him and said, you need to be born again. Conception does not get you to heaven. It does not get you to heaven. So you must find out what it means to be born again, and we'll get there in a few minutes. Point number two is this, pregnancy. Pregnancy. Uh, this is after you believe in God and now you're wrestling with, do I give him my life? Do I not give him my life? Do I just want to believe and go to church and feel good? Am I going to surrender everything to him? Um, the reason this is an important point is because I've heard people say this phrase. Um, I got saved when I was uh, 15 years old. But then I lived like the devil for 10 years, and I was, I was, I was selfish, I was self-centered, no change occurred in my life. But then at 25, I rededicated my life, I'm sold out for Christ, he changed everything, and now life is great. Okay, that testimony is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the entire Bible did somebody get saved, there was no change, Nothing happened. They still lived the same life, and then they rededicated life. Here's what happened. At, at 15 years old or whatever the, the, the point is I'm giving you, um, that person conceived, and then for 10 years they were pregnant. For 10 years they wrestled. Am I going to surrender my life to Jesus or not? And then they actually got saved at 25. That's actually what it looks like to be. If there's no change, if you've not given birth to a new life, if you're the same person you still were, you're not saved. What kind of testimony is it? Hey, I gave my life to this amazing God. Jesus, I love him so much. I mean, nothing happened. I didn't I'm the same person. But boy, am I saved. If that's your testimony, don't tell anybody you go to this church. You tell them you go to the Greek Orthodox Church or something like that. Because that is not the way it testifies. In fact, let me show you what it looks like when somebody aborts the seed. Romans 2.4 says this, Are you ignorant of the fact that God's goodness is intended to lead you to repent, but you refuse to repent? You have a hard and stubborn heart. Here's what it's saying. You know better. You've heard the word. You've heard it preached to you. You know what God requires of you, and you just don't want to do it, and you choose not to do it, and you don't care if you mess up. You have a hard and stubborn heart. You're not born... Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Am I crazy? Are we all, are we all okay, right? Because you know what some people say this to this? Well, John Paul, that can't be true because I'm actually growing. Um, things are actually, um, there's some changes that have occurred in my life. Like, let me ask you a question. Um, a baby, can a baby um, be conceived and then immediately be born? Is that how it works? You conceive a child and that night the child gives birth. That's not how it happens. There's pregnancy, right? In fact, let me ask you this. Does a baby grow before it's born? Yes. Of course it does. You can grow in intellectual belief 
and not be saved. <laughs> I thought this would be a good news sermon. It doesn't look like it's a good news sermon the way you are looking at me. I don't know. So let me show you something. After Jesus rose from the dead, now he spent, he spent three years with his disciples, the males. There were some women there as well, but I'm referring to the male disciples for a minute. Three years, right? Miracle after miracle, supernatural things, great things. Then Jesus dies and rises from the dead. And as you know, that 10 of the 11 remaining male disciples did not believe. The women believed like that. The men had to be convinced for 40 days after Jesus rises from the dead that he actually rose from the dead. Let me show you. Mark 16, 9. Jesus, having risen from death, first appeared to Mary Magdalene. By the way, the whole gospel rests on a woman. The first person that Jesus ever revealed the gospel to was this woman. She reported it in return and told the other disciples. They did, it says, but they did not believe. Then verse 12, after that, he appeared to two of them. They returned to all the others. They didn't believe them either. Luke 24, 9, after the women returned from the empty tomb, they reported this to the apostles, and they would not believe. What is wrong with the men? You know how much easier it is to win a woman to Jesus than it is a man? You know why? Women know we all got problems. I mean, they, they know my parents got problems, I got problems, every man has problems, every woman has problems, every we need Jesus. That's how a woman thinks. We need Jesus. A man thinks this, I got this. I, I'm the provider of my home. I'm the protector of my home. I know what it's like to be a man. My dad wasn't a good man. I'm going to be a better man. I can roll with this. And then finally one day a man loses something. His health, his money, his job, his wife, something. And he's like, I need Jesus so bad. Please go into my life, Jesus. It takes men so much more because we're so full of pride. Listen, you were never the provider of your home. God always has been. You were never the protector of your family. God has always been. And when you put your faith and trust in him, your life will be so much easier. But it's so funny, the men didn't believe, and the women were like, oh, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe you. you ever, I, know, I know a lot of times ladies come to church first, and then they you know, drag the men a year later, and the men finally enjoy it, of course. But it's so funny, you go home to the man, you're like, oh, let me tell you about the sermon. This and this happened. He's thinking this. I don't believe you. It wasn't that good. God didn't say that. It, I don't know why men are that way. So the disciples, they conceived it for three years. <laughs> three years. And it took some convincing after Jesus rose from the dead by Jesus to convince them to actually believe. But I want to show you how much these men believed after they believed. Okay, watch this. Matthew, he was killed by a sword in Ethiopia while he was preaching the name of Jesus. He could have stopped and not been killed, but he just kept preaching. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same way Jesus did. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, he was beheaded in Jerusalem on a missionary trip. Um, Bartholomew, otherwise called Nathaniel, flogged and whipped to death for being a Christian. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, he was thrown over 100 feet down the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny the name of Jesus. When they discovered he survived the fall, his enemies beat him to death with a club. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during his missionary trip. Andrew was whipped by seven soldiers in Greece and then crucified. His, reporters, uh, his followers reported that when he was led to the cross, he said this, I've long desired and expected this happy hour. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days on a cross until he died. John, now John is the only... Um, of the original disciples that was not martyred. Remember the 12, Judas killed himself, 10 were martyred. John was the only 
disciple, original, not martyred. Um, he was thrown off of a cliff, and after he survived, they decided they're going to boil him in hot oil right in the middle of the Colosseum, and he survived that, so they exiled him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Here's the point I'm making. Believing in Jesus will forever change your life and death. If there's not a change, uh, you haven't surrendered your life to him. If there's not a change. Now, I was studying this. You know, it's funny. We're preparing for our new school and we're working out details and all that. And I was meeting with our little school board we've put together and our teachers. And I said, you know, this isn't a business we're starting. It's a ministry. It's a new ministry we're starting to help Christian families. I said, y'all are going to have to sacrifice. I said, in ministry, you just got to sacrifice. And I said, it's okay, you'll get through it. I said, I sacrificed financially, I said, for 20 years, for 20 years. And I'm, I'm finally now making the salary that the elders have always wanted me to make. But I've always not taken it because I wanted the church to get paid off, help more people, do more things. I said, for 20 years, we never had a new car. Never, we didn't have the internet for 15 years after everybody else got it. Didn't have cable TV. Didn't have insurance, didn't go on vacation, didn't get new clothes, never had the newest cell phone. All, we were the last one to get a cell phone. When we finally got, it was a flip phone. Like all these sacrifices just so we could do it for the ministry. And then I'm studying for this sermon and I thought this, I hadn't sacrificed nothing. Nothing. Oh, poor old me not having cable TV for 15 years. Whatever will we do? How did we survive tithing 10%? For 20 years, oh, I'm, I'm surprised my kids could even eat food. I'm surprised we didn't starve to death having bringing 10% of our income to church. Oh, poor old me. We hadn't sacrificed anything for the sake of the gospel. In other words, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus in America, in this day and age we live in, you never will. What are you going to do in 20 years in America when it's illegal to worship God? Or when they come to you with a gun and say, I'm going to kill your child if you don't deny Jesus. What are you going to do then? Because it's going to come to that if we don't change this next generation. It happens in other countries. I'm surprised we've actually lasted this long as we have with the way America's going. We haven't sacrificed anything for the gospel. What's wrong with the, oh, I didn't have health insurance. I can't believe I made it this far. Man. What's wrong? You know, you know, in other cultures, when you talk about believe, it is so concrete. You see it with their sacrificial, everyday life. And we think, I showed up for church this morning, God. I hope you're proud of me. I had to sit there for 30 minutes and look at that good-looking man stand up there and talk. What a sacrifice that was. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, point number three is this. Birth or born again. How can I know that I am born again 100%? How can I leave this building and know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven? Well, first of all, you don't have to remember the date. If anyone's ever questioned you, when did you, and you can't remember, you don't have to remember the date. In fact, um, you might forget the date that you got married, but you never forget the day or the time in your life where someone moved in with you and now you spend every single day with that person. Because the Bible likens salvation to marriage. You with me on that? In fact, I'll prove it to you, okay? She doesn't know I'm going to do this. Ready? Micah, what is the exact date that you and I got married? What is our real anniversary date? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she don't know. But are you married? Yes. Okay, so she got that part. Good, good, okay. So if I were to ask you, she's going to try to figure it out before second service. I know she is, but she still won't get it right because she don't know. Anyway, but if I were to ask you if you're married today and you think, well, I think I'm married. I said, when did you get married? Oh, maybe when I was 12 years old, 
Maybe it was 15 at youth group. Maybe 25. Oh, probably, tw- uh, probably 25. No, if I ask you if you're married, you should say, yes, I'm married. I live with somebody. They're with me every day of my life. I love this person. I can't wait to talk to this person. They're the greatest person in the world, and you're unashamed. That's how much confidence you should have in being born again. So let me just teach you a bunch of stuff about the Gospel of John, and then I'm going to about John the Apostle, and then I'm going to make a point in a second. Okay, this is what the men are studying, and so I just felt it was, I just read the whole Gospel and thought, man, I gotta I gotta preach this. So John is one of the twelve original disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, he begins his words in the Gospel with the exact same words in the Book of Genesis. Genesis one one says, "In the beginning," and John one one is this: "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God." Here's what John is saying: He proved the divinity of Jesus when he wrote the gospel of John it was all about he he didn't just come from God he is God he is God in fact John is saying this too if you don't believe the Bible you don't believe God if you don't believe the Bible you don't believe in Jesus you can't say I believe Jesus and not believe what he said to be a believer it means God Jesus the word the Holy Spirit they're all one the very last scripture in the book of John is my favorite scripture in the Bible. In John 21, 25, he says this, Jesus did so many other things that if every one of them were written down, the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. How could he say that when he only spent three years with Jesus? Here's how. He knew that Jesus was in the beginning. Um, in fact, the Father is very elusive in the Old Testament. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. When Abraham had a visitor saying you're going to have a child, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, Jesus showed up. The, the shutting the mouth of lions for Daniel, that's Jesus all through the Old Testament. Um, so he writes the Gospel of John to prove the divinity of Jesus. He writes 1 John to prove the humanity of Jesus. In 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, I write about what existed from the beginning, what I've heard, what I've seen, and what I've touched. He wrote 1 John because um, at Ephesus, they were having false teachers that were saying that Jesus did not um, come in the flesh. That, yeah, God showed up as a spirit, but it wasn't the flesh. And John writes this and says, I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. I touched him. I leaned against him at the Last Supper. I know he came in human form. And then, and then he wrote Revelation, and if you ever want to understand Revelation, don't try to understand what it's about. You have to read it and think about who it's about. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ by John, who testifies to every single thing that he saw. Um, 31 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. 29 of those 31 times is from John. Uh, 27 Revelation 2 and John. Uh, John uh, records more about what Jesus said about himself than any other book in the Bible. In John 6, 25, Jesus said this, I am the light. John 10, 7, I am the door. John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. Um, John 6, 35, I'm the bread. John 11, 25, the resurrection. John 14, 6, the way, the truth, the life. John 15, 1, I am the vine. John 10, 36, I am the son of God. So listen, when John writes this, it is 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead. All the other books of the Bible have been written. John is the last living original disciple. No one else has left. He lived to be in his hundreds. He writes this um, when he's in his 90s. So here's my question. Why did John wait and write this 60 years after it happened? Why didn't he write it when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing their Gospels? Well, here's why. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels, and they just started recording Jesus' third year of ministry. 
John reads that, and 60 years later, he thinks, man, they forgot about the first two years of Jesus' ministry. So without the gospel of John, we would not have this. Without the gospel of John, we wouldn't have John 2, the wedding, when Jesus did his first public miracle, water into wine. Uh, John 3, Nicodemus, who we just read about. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 17, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world will be saved through me. We would have none of that without John. In John 4, the woman at the well, John 5, the lame man by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years who Jesus healed. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. When every person there wanted to stone her, the only man who had the legal right to stone her said, I'm not going to condemn you, but don't do it anymore. Uh, John 9, the blind man who was blind since birth that Jesus healed. John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John 13, washing disciples' feet. John 14 through 16 is three chapters in the Bible that are the conversation of the Last Supper. No one else recorded it. Nobody recorded when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. We wouldn't have any of that without John. John 17, Jesus' prayer in the garden. So here's my question. How could John remember all of these details 60 years later? If I asked you in here that are 80, 90 years old, hey, remember that friend you had in college and you took him to lunch one day at Denny's? What did y'all talk about 60 years ago? You would, how did John remember these details from 60 years ago? John never stopped spending time with Jesus. He knew Jesus better 60 years later than he did when he was walking on earth with him. That's what it means to be married. When you spend every day together and you learn more and more about each other, you can't wait to wake up and see that person there with you. That's what it means to be born again. Now, John didn't start off this good apostle. In fact, he started off as a redneck. He was from Galilee, Aner, Galilee. And, and they, were known, they were known by the way they spoke. The second you heard them talk, that guy's from Galilee. Here's what Acts 4.13 says. When the people recognized John and saw that he was, of course, unschooled and ordinary, they couldn't believe that Jesus chose him. In fact, let me show you what the other gospel writers say about John. Mark 10.25, James and John told Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Make us leaders in your kingdom. And then when Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, they had their mom, Salome go to Jesus and say, hey, my boys, they want to be in charge of your church. You just need to put them in charge, one on your left, one on your right. She said, you don't know what you're saying. In Luke 9, 54, John saw somebody doing something he didn't like, and so he goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to burn them alive? In John 13, 34, Jesus called them this. Um, he said, uh, these two boys, they're the sons of thunder. Now, that was not a compliment. That was two guys that wanted to use the power of God to destroy people that weren't doing right. But yet John, when he wrote his gospel, it's actually called the love gospel. He's the only one who wrote the new commandment. No one else recorded the new commandment. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. John 15, 17, this is my command. Love each other. 1 John 4, 21, he gave us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a story. A true story is in other books written in the day where John the Apostle, when he was an old man before he was exiled to the island of Patmos, he went into a temple when he was the last living disciple, last remaining um, original disciple, and he walks into church one day, a temple, a synagogue. And everyone notices him and they say, oh, that's John, he's an old man now. We need to get him to preach this Sunday. John, please come up and, and preach a sermon. Tell us about Jesus. Tell us something amazing. And John, as an old man, walks his way up on stage and he looks at everyone and he says this, love everyone 
And he turns around and he sits back down. They said, no, no, John, we want to hear something amazing. What was it like to be with Jesus? What did you learn? Give us some good sermon today. And he walks back up and he looks and he just says this, love everyone. They said, is there anything else? He said, there's nothing more important than love everyone. So here's my question. How could he go from wanting to call down fire to destroy people to saying love everyone? Here's how. Spending every day with Jesus changed him. If there's no change in your life, why are you even here? Why are you here today? If there's, if there's bitterness in your heart and you don't want to get rid of it, why are you here? If there's addictions in your life and you don't want them broken, why are you here? Every day we spend with Jesus, there should be change on the inside. So when John wrote his gospel, 60 years later, of course, he doesn't even mention his name in his own gospel. Doesn't even mention his name. In fact, let me show you how he refers to himself all through the gospel. John 13, 23, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting at the table. John 20, verse 2, she found Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John 19, 26, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. John 21, 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. John 21, 20, Peter turned and saw that disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. Every time you read that, it's John talking about himself. It's similar to uh, Numbers 12, verse 3. It says this in the Bible, Moses was more humble than every man on earth. You know who wrote that? <laughs> Moses wrote that. <laughs> Of course, it is inspired and the Holy Spirit told him what to write, but it's just very, very funny. John 20, verse 8, the other disciple whom Jesus loved reached the tomb first. He saw, and that's the one disciple that believed when Jesus rose from the dead, the one male disciple. So here's my point. He's not comparing and saying, well, Jesus loved me more than them. He's saying, I finally believe with everything in me that everything Jesus does is because he loves me. Everything he says, everything in the word, it is all because he loves me. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they only use the word believe nine to ten times. John uses the word believe 99 times in his gospel. Here's the point I'm making. The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we discover how much he loves us. The more we discover how much he loves us, the more... We believe. So stop trying to be a good person. Stop trying to fix all these problems and just find out how much he loves you. Just read the Bible. Spend time with him. It's like a woman who was in a bad relationship and she was with a man who abused her, who ignored her, who talked down to her, who beat her, who did these horrible things to her. Tells her she's unattractive, not worthy, you're not worth anything. And finally she breaks free from this man and she finds a good man. And this good man tells her, you're beautiful, you mean more to me than anything. I love you so much, you are so awesome. Here's the problem, she doesn't believe the new guy because she has these words from the old man she's been with all those years before. You need to hear this today. You are the disciple whom Jesus loves. And when you really believe that, you also believe that everything in the word, from forgiveness to purity to, to, to peace, everything, strife, everything in here, you believe that's because he loves me and he wants me to succeed. It's life. It'll just pour. So let me, let me close with exactly how to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you're born again. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If you're in Christ, you're a new creature, reborn. The old previous moral condition has passed away. Behold, new life has come. So, um, before I got saved, um, I was incredibly selfish. I was very hateful and um, had a hard heart. And I was in church my whole life. And I believed the entire Bible. I did. I believed the whole Bible. Um, but I was headed to hell. You guys are in hell. Y'all are in this section of hell. And so, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, switching seats. And so, I would try to do the right thing, and it would just bounce back. My default was to do the wrong thing. That was my default. In fact, I wanted to do the wrong thing. I really did. I wanted to live for myself. I wanted to be happy no matter what. I wanted to take care of me, my forward, no more. That's what I wanted. I would try to forgive. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to forgive. I would try to tithe. I want that money for myself. I would try to worship, and it would feel fake. I would try to be kind to somebody I didn't like, and I'd say, you know, forget it. I don't like them, and I'm going to let them know. You know, that's just my default. And one day, I remember I left my, my, my wife and kids, and I went to a parking lot with my Bible. And I just said, God, my whole life, I've tried to do it on my own. And I don't like the way things are turning out. And I can tell I'm selfish, and I'm hard to love, and I'm hard to get along with. And I don't want to live that way anymore, but I don't know what to do because I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard. So I'm going to give you something. It's not anything special. It's not anything good. I'm going to give you myself. It's all I have. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I have addictions and problems and wrong mindsets. And I recognize how evil I am. It's all I have. I'm going to give myself to you. God reached down from heaven and he did this. Bloop. And then all of a sudden I had this desire. I want to serve want to give. I want to forgive. I want to find out more of what's in your word. I want to hear your voice clear and clear every day. I want to do good. Now listen, I can still do the wrong thing. Oh yes, I can. But I have to put a lot of pressure. I'm going to, oh man, okay, I'll do the right thing. I'm going to do, you know what? I want this. I don't care what you say, God. I want this. Oh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Now my default is to honor God. I can still go in the wrong direction. But it takes just as much pressure as it did before I got saved to go in the right direction. Here's my question. When did this happen for you? That, now, you're still going to make mistakes, okay? The righteous man falls, but he always gets back up, okay? You're still going to make, that's not the question. I'm not saying when did you become perfect at all. I'm saying when did the polarity of your heart go from me, 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 me to you, 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 you? When did that happen? When that happened, that means you got born again. And if you're not sure or not, why not make it concrete today? 